0: Welcome to the podcast for Sunday, November 13th, 2016, and may God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we're still a few weeks away from Black Friday, the start of the serious Christmas shopping season. So this past week, I started browsing the Internet for potential gifts, you know, just to start getting into shopping shape. It's not quite a muscle that I exercise throughout the year and don't want to get caught uh, off guard. So here are eight unique gifts that I found on the Internet this week that you might consider for this holiday season. The Rocket Tissue Dispenser. That's right. For our aerospace industry community, this simple device makes dispensing tissues look like smoke coming out of the bottom of a rocket ship. Uh, you simply load the tissue upside down through the top of the dispenser, and voila. Uh, all for the price of $29.95, tissue box not included. The Angry Mama Microwave Cleaner. We all have splattered and crusty insides of our microwaves, right? Well, this handy invention uses steam to clean the inside of one's micro. It's something mama would approve of. Uh, Price tag, $12.05. Next, the ham dogger. You know those times when you're grilling both hamburgers and hot dogs and you run out of hamburger buns because people like burgers more than dogs? Well, you've got all those leftover hot dog buns you don't know what to do with. Well, the ham dogger will now allow you to shape your hamburger meat into a cylindrical form so those buns will not go to waste. <laughs> all for 10.99. The stop sleep, you know, with the average commute for those of us in the Antelope Valley being over an hour each way to work, this little piece of electronic wizardry might just save a life. Worn on the hand, it says it has eight different cutaneous sensors. I had to look that up. That just means things that touch your skin, right? That monitor one's awareness, concentration with electrodermal activity, alerting the wearer before you begin to doze off. How much would you pay for such peace in mind? $189. Yeah, but it's cheaper than fixing your car. Or the mini vacuum spider wand. This past Monday, I'm not joking, we had a meeting in the church on Monday. This huge spider comes down from the ceiling. We could have used this device. Uh, Simple push of the button, spiders, cockroaches, ants, other unwanted insects are sucked into the tube whereby you can... Dump them, flush them, or release them into the wild so they can mate and have babies and come back into your house, all for the bargain price of $19.99, or the squirrel-shaped traveling neck pillow the perfect device for frequent travelers. It'll allow you to doze off in style. The bushy tail wraps around your neck, letting everyone know that you mean business when it comes to getting your travel sleep. All for the low, low price of $24.99. Or, Harmonic cartridge by Blowtendo. For those of you old-school gamers who remember the NES uh, cartridges from the 80s and 90s, remember you have to... Blow into them to clean out the dust? Well, I present Harmonic Cartridge by Blowtendo. For just $14, you can blow into this retro-themed NES cartridge that has a harmonica on the inside. So you'll actually get somewhere by blowing into it. Yeah. And then finally, the rolling cat face massager. Now, some of you cat owners might question whether or not your feline friend actually likes you. Well, fear not. Because after you buy the rolling cat face massager, you'll never wonder again. And what might be the best value of this entire lot for just $3.16, you'll get a pair dual rollers guaranteed to bring your cat's face to eternal bliss. Your cat will be forced to recognize your existence in the house now. Well, welcome to a new sermon series entitled Generosity. As Pastor Angela just shared, we're, we're in the middle of four weeks of our stewardship campaign, and I thought it'd be helpful to examine a little more closely both giving and generosity. And I have to start with a confession. It's a pastoral confession. I'm sure not many uh, pastors ever admit this, but I'm a little uncomfortable when it comes to preaching about tithing. Now, it's not because I don't believe in it. I believe in it 100%. In fact, I've been tithing or giving 10% of everything that I earn back to God since high school. It's a natural part of how I was raised, of how I've grown up, and how I've taught my children as well. But usually, during tithing and stewardship campaign sermons, preachers quote texts like this. Proverbs 3, verse 9, Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your produce. Or they share the powerful uh, statistic that the average Christian only gives 2.5% of their income to church, and then they throw this whammy from Malachi 3, will anyone rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? In your tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe, not 2.5%, into the storehouse. And put me to the test and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. And at that point, the soft music comes in and the guilt feelings start to hit you over and over again, right? What's interesting about tithing, however, is that there's no mention of tithing after the four gospels in the New Testament. Did you know that every example of New Testament giving goes far above the tithe? None goes below 10%, but everything goes, matches that or higher. In the Old Testament, the Israelites actually paid multiple tithes a year, so scholars have estimated that their giving account came to 23% of their income if they followed Scripture. Rather than focusing on guilting people into giving a specific amount, I believe the ultimate purpose of tithing is to help us put God first in our lives over everything. So I think the issue of giving to God requires more than just a cursory recitation of the usual passages that most often come up when sermons are given on tithing. To me, it's more than a set amount. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of orienting your lives. It's a way of living. Psalm 24, verse 1 reminds us that the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it, which tells us that everything... We have is a gift from God everything we might think we're the ones who earned it grew it bought it or made it But the reality is everything belongs to God. We are simply the stewards Pastor chip ingram in his book the genius of generosity says this The key principle here isn't that isn't about money in itself It's about learning to live under God's lordship and blessing Unless God begins to move in my heart and my wallet and my schedule and my to-do list, I will never receive God's best for me. One of the ways I prepared for the sermon was to read five or six different books on the topic. And one book that really surprised me uh, was by Pastor Jeff Anderson called Plastic Donuts. Giving that delights the heart of the father. And I must say, really, it was the title that caught my attention more than anything. Amidst all there's so many Christian books on the market out there about money, generosity, and tithing. This creative title comes from an experience that Jeff had with his 18-month-old daughter, Autumn Joy, one afternoon. She came into the living room while he was working on his laptop. She handed him a plastic donut from her kitchen placet, and she just stood there, waiting for a response. Well, Any of you with kids or grandkids know what's supposed to come next, right? You're supposed to take the donut, put it up to your mouth, pretending you're going to eat it and go, mmm, mmm, this is so good, which is exactly what he did. This is what he says happened next. Then something beautiful happened. Her big brown eyes widened, her lips pushed a giant smile against her puffy cheeks. She stood up on her toes and shrugged up her shoulders to her ears and let out a high-pitched squeal. After soaking in the experience for a few seconds, she ran back to the kitchen and brought me a little pink spoon. And again, I responded, showing her my pleasure and approval. The cycle continued a few more times as I collected plastic pieces from her kitchen set. For Autumn, this exercise in giving gifts kept bringing her back to her daddy. For me, it kept me looking at my child to return to my side. I was moved by the exchange. I loved the interaction and connection. I was so pleased. Jeff says later, when it comes to thinking about his own giving practice, he had always thought that the receivers are the ones that were blessed, right? His church, his neighbors, the chosen charities. But he also knew that when you give, it has an impact on you as the giver himself. But until that day, until that moment with his daughter and the the plastic donut, he never realized how much... God viewed the gift that he gave. It changed everything for him. Had he not responded to his daughter the way he did, she probably would have stopped bringing him things. But instead, this father-daughter dance of delight continued and touched his heart in a really deep place, all because of that little plastic donut. Now, it might seem like a strange sermon uh, on generosity and giving to have at its core the main scripture passage of the the Bible's first murder. Many of us are familiar with the story of Cain and Abel, but we don't hear it preached too often, do we? According to the book of Genesis, Cain and Abel were the first two sons of the very first two people, Adam and Eve. Verse 2 of Genesis 4. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, for his part, brought the firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. So both make both brothers make an offering to God, each from their own area of expertise. Michael Williams, in the storyteller's companion to the Bible, notes that Cain's offering is described by one small Hebrew word that means some. He brought Some of the fruits of the earth would be another translation. Abel's offering is given a bit more lengthy description. He brought the firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. What's interesting, of course, is God's reaction to these gifts. Verse 4b, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering God had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. God had regard for Abel's offering. The Hebrew literally means that God looked at Abel and his offering. He regarded it. He gazed upon it. He responded to Abel's offering in a special way. But he didn't do the same for Cain. Why? Doesn't God like fruits and vegetables as much as God likes lamb chops? Or was this simply a passage to highlight the ancient battle between farmers and ranchers? Well, I think it goes back to that little word, some. Cain offered some of his produce, while Abel offered the very best of what he had. The 11th chapter of the New Testament book of Hebrews is often known as the Hall of Faith chapter, and it lists numerous heroes of Scripture, the the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. Any guesses who the first person listed in Hebrews 11 is? And I'll give you a hint, it's not Adam or Eve. Hebrews eleven four 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. Though through this, he received approval as righteousness, God himself giving approval to his gifts, he died, but through his faith, he still speaks. So what was it about Abel? He gave a more acceptable gift than his brother. Isn't it interesting? Since the very beginning, God has shown an interest in the gifts that his children give him, but... Not all gifts are the same. Not all gifts are equally acceptable. Just ask Cain. It it totally changed. It ruined his countenance. He ended up murdering his brother because of that. Jeff Anderson notes that in the English language, we don't really have a word that fully expresses the biblical idea of acceptable. Oftentimes, when we use the word acceptable, it means, you know, just barely good enough, right? It's kind of adequate or enough to squeak by. But that's not how the Bible uses acceptable. David understood it. That's why every Sunday when I preach, I get up and I pray a portion of Psalm 19 that says, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. I'm not just saying, well, you know, God, I just kind of want to slide by on this sermon. Make it just good enough that people don't fall asleep. And I'm not shooting for middle-of-the-road mediocre. I'm asking that what I am about to say would bring honor and glory and praise to God, that it would be my very best. You see, in Scripture, there aren't different levels of acceptability before God. It's not like God prefers uh, meat over vegetables. There are many passages in Scripture that mention a grain harvest and offerings of your fruit and your produce in addition to animal sacrifices. I don't, I don't think there's a grade A, grade B, grade C type of offering that we can bring before God. God. Gifts and offerings to God are either acceptable or not acceptable. It's all or nothing. The book of Leviticus lists a few things that make an offering acceptable for God. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you shall offer a male without blemish. You shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of the meeting for acceptance in your behalf before the Lord. Leviticus, 20, Leviticus uh, 11, you shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for will not be acceptable on your behalf. So there's something about bringing your very best. You've probably heard it said that, well, every gift is special. Every gift makes a difference. No gift is too small. And that may be true in secular fundraising endeavors. But when it comes to giving to God, that doesn't seem to ring true, at least not biblically. Now, that sounds very harsh. But here's what we find in Scripture, that not all gifts are acceptable to God. Acceptable truth number one. When it comes to our gifts, the amount matters. Now, it may be shocking to hear that, but here's the caveat. When the gift, when the amount of the gift matters to us, then it matters to God. Likewise, if it really doesn't matter to us, it probably doesn't matter to God. We all have amounts and gifts that matter to us, right? Our mortgage and rent payments, our car payments, our vacation packages, our furniture purchases, our cable TV, our club memberships, whatever it may be, those amounts matter to us, so we set aside as part of our income each month in order to, to, to make those happen. When we find ourselves quick to respond, well, Pastor Jim, it's not the amount that matters, it's the condition of our heart. I would invite you to remember what Jesus said on the Sermon of the Mount, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The second acceptable truth, according to Pastor Jeff Anderson in his book, might be equally as shocking as the first, and that's when it comes to our gifts, we determine the amount. Tithing has long been seen as the standard for giving in most churches. But it makes you wonder, doesn't it? If that's the case, why don't we get worked up about other standards in faith? Like how often we should pray, or fast, or read scripture. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't provide any set amounts for this. It was all determined by the individuals in their hearts. Jesus tells one story about a woman who gave all that she had as an offering. In another place... He meets a repentant tax collector, Zacchaeus, who gives half of his possessions away. And in other places, he speaks of the Pharisees who give 10%. There's no universal standard in the New Testament for giving, at least not in the teachings of Jesus. In the Hebrew Scriptures, God commands that the people should bring him gifts at the three annual festivals. Deuteronomy 16 says, No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. So if you're going to one of the big festivals in Jerusalem three times a year, you've got to bring an offering. But the amount of the offering could be determined by each individual person. All shall give as they are able according to the blessings of the Lord our God. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, there are eight different gift categories under the law. For half of these, the, the amount that you give was determined by the giver. For the other half, it was determined by the law. Over and over again, God calls us people to give freely and generously to the poor, which is part of the reason why we have a Guatemala Sunday, and we sponsor a ministry in Venezuela, and we have three feeding uh, ministries every month here in the Antelope Valley, so that we might make a concrete difference in the lives of those in need. But just because God gives us the opportunity to determine our gifts, that doesn't mean that any gift is pleasing to God. Exodus 25, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to take for me an offering from all whose hearts prompt them to give. You shall receive an offering for me. Now, we don't believe in arm-twisting or guilting people into giving. This has to be something that we want to do. The Apostle Paul wrote, each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We say that every Sunday. And that's why Pastor Angela shares the funny story to remind us it's not about compulsion. We're not trying to make you feel guilty. This should be something that we as people of faith want to do. There's over 2000 mentions of giving in the Bible, and only 40 pertain to tithing. That's 2% for all you math experts. So if we focused only on tithing, then we're ignoring the other 98% of the passages in Scripture about God's guidance on how we are to give and to be generous. Like the time he called, Jesus called his followers to store up for themselves treasures in heaven. Or to pay their taxes, give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. Or Jesus' statement in the Sermon on the mount saying that the measure that you give will be the measure that you give back. The Apostle Paul, whose writings make up nearly half of the New Testament, said a lot about giving, but he didn't seem to make a connection, a direct connection to tithing today, which leads us to acceptable truth number three. God desires that everyone give according to their abilities. We've already seen this call in Deuteronomy 16, not to come to any of the festivals empty handed before the Lord, but to bring whatever you're able to bring according to God's blessings in your life. And when Jesus commended the poor widow who gave her last two copper coins to the temple offering, Jesus was so moved as she gave all she had to live on. Other passages on this truth include Second Corinthians eight, twelve, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. Don't be giving to the Lord if it means you can't feed your family or pay your rent. When Moses invited the people to give towards their worship center, he called whoever is of a generous heart to bring their offerings to God. See, God wants to instill this sense of generosity in the lives of his people. When all the Israelites were rebuilding the temple after the Babylonian exile, of being away for 70 years, Ezra responds with this. According to their resources, they gave to the building fund 61,000 derricks of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priestly robes. And we don't have to know the exchange rate back in biblical times to know that was a lot that they gave. When Paul asked his various churches to give, uh, take up a collection for the Jeru- uh, church in Jerusalem, Scripture tells us that the disciples determined that according to their ability, each would send relief to the believers living in Judea. And I could go on with example after example, but I think you're getting the point. God desires that we each give according to our ability, according to the blessings that we have been given. And tithing is a great goal for believers to shoot for, especially if we've tended to give gifts in the past that, well, may not have been our very best. More like a tip at the end of a meal, something we know we should do, but we don't really want to. But heck, even tipping at the restaurant is 15%, right? Tithing doesn't have to be the ceiling of our giving either. Some of us have been blessed by God far more abundantly, and we're challenged to give accordingly. Our final acceptable truth is this. In the end, it really is the condition of our heart that makes a gift acceptable before God. Remember that Jesus said that our hearts and our treasures are intricately connected. 1 Corinthians 13 is the famous love chapter. It's read at so many people's weddings. And Paul says in that chapter that if he gave all of his money to the poor, but he did it without love, it would be a useless gift. You see, our actions reveal what is in our hearts. Proverbs 21.3 says, To do righteous, righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. First Samuel 15.22, Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obedience? To the voice of the Lord. Surely to obey is to better is better than sacrifice, and to heed better than the fat of rams. And while the Pharisees were so proud of their faithful tithing record, Jesus rebuked some of them for neglecting the weightier matters of the law for justice and mercy and faith. You see, friends, we have this these stewardship campaigns twice a year, not because the church needs the money, at least not ultimately. We have these stewardship drives because as followers of Jesus, we need to be cultivating lives of generosity. It is that vital to our faith. Generosity, friends, shouldn't be some set amount that you're guilted into having to give. It's an opportunity to respond to the blessings that we've been entrusted with. An opportunity to live a lifestyle that Jesus says will bring us ultimate joy and peace. And we'll talk more about that next week. In the meantime, I'd like to finish with this encouragement from Pastor Jeff Anderson, whose book, as you may imagine, I borrowed extensively for my message. He writes, Start by looking up. Not at your bank statement or your bills or your problems or your past. Give your heart and soul to God. Then sense a smile. Sense his pleasure in you. Feel his embrace. Now imagine him receiving your gift, like a plastic donut in a daddy's hand. Your gift falls to heaven's floor as God picks you up in his arms and assures you that what he really desires is your heart. And the donut is just a tool you use to give your heart to him. So bring your gifts to him. May they be pleasing and acceptable in his sight. And may your face light up as you imagine the joy of approval of your father as he receives you in one arm and your plastic donut in the other. That's got to be better than a squirrel-shaped neck pillow, right? (laughs) Thanks be to God for the chance we have to live lives of generosity. Amen.